Penny for the guy, sir. A small boy with a grimy face grinned ingratiatingly. Certainly not, said Chief Inspector Jap. And look here, my lad. A short homily followed. The dismayed urchin beat a precipitate retreat, remarking briefly and succinctly to his youthful friends, Blimey, if it ain't a cop all togged up. The band took to its heels, chanting the incantation, Remember, remember, the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason, and plot. We see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. The chief inspector's companion, a small elderly man with an egg-shaped head and a large military-looking moustache, was smiling to himself. Hmm, très bien, Jap, he observed. You preach the sermon very well. I congratulate you. Rank excuse for begging, that's what Guy Fawkes Day is, said Jap. An interesting survival, mused Hercule Poirot. The fireworks go up, crack, crack, long after the man they commemorate and his deed are forgotten. The Scotland Yard man agreed. Don't suppose many of those kids really know who Guy Fawkes was. And soon, doubtless, there will be confusion of thought. Is it in honor or in execration that on the 5th of November the third artifice are sent up? To blow up an English parliament, was it a sin or a noble deed? Jap chuckled. Some people would say undoubtedly the latter. Turning off the main road, the two men passed into the comparative quiet of a muse. They'd been dining together and were now taking a shortcut to Hercule Poirot's flat. As they walked along, the sound of squibs was still heard periodically. An occasional shower of golden rain illuminated the sky. Good night for a murder, remarked Jap with professional interest. Nobody would hear a shot, for instance, on a night like this. It has always seemed odd to me that more criminals do not take advantage of the fact, said Hercule Poirot. You know, Poirot, I almost wish sometimes that you would commit a murder. More share. Yes, I'd like to see just how you'd set about it. My dear Jap, if I committed a murder, you would not have the least chance of seeing how I set about it. You would not even be aware, probably, that a murder had been committed. Jap laughed good-humouredly and affectionately. Cocky little devil, aren't you? he said indulgently. At half-past eleven the following morning, Hercule Poirot's telephone rang. Hello? Hello? Oh, hello. Is that you, Poirot? Uh, oui, uh, c'est moi. Uh, Jap speaking here. Remember, we came home last night through Bardsley Gardens Mews. Yes? And that we talked about how easy it would be to shoot a person with all those squibs and crackers and the rest of it going off. Certainly. Well, there was a suicide in that muse. Number 14, a young widow, Mrs. Allen. I'm going round there now. Like to come? Excuse me, but does someone of your eminence, my dear friend, usually get sent to a case of suicide? <laughs> Sharp fellow. No, he doesn't. As a matter of fact, our doctor seems to think there's something funny about this. Will you come? I kind of feel you ought to be in on it. Certainly I will come. Uh, number 14, you say? That's right. 
Poirot arrived at number 14 Bardsley Garden Mews almost at the same moment as a car drew up containing Jap and three other men. Number 14 was clearly marked out as the centre of interest. A big circle of people, chauffeurs, their wives, errand boys, loafers, well-dressed passers-by, and innumerable children were drawn up, all staring at number 14 with open mouths. A police constable in uniform stood on the step and did his best to keep back the curious. Alert-looking young men with cameras were busy and surged forward as Jap alighted. Nothing for you now, said Jap, brushing them aside. He nodded to Poirot. So, here you are. Let's get inside. They passed in quickly. The door shut behind them, and they found themselves squeezed together at the foot of a ladder-like flight of stairs. A man came to the top of the staircase, recognized Jap, and said, Up here, sir. Jap and Poirot mounted the stairs. The man at the stairhead opened a door on the left, and they found themselves in a small bedroom. I thought you'd like me to run over the chief point, sir. Uh, quite right, Jameson, said Jap. What about it? Divisional Inspector Jameson took up the tale. Deceased uh, Mrs. Allen, sir, lived here with a friend, uh, Miss Plenderleith. Miss Plenderleith was staying away in the country and returned this morning. She let herself in with her key, was surprised to find no one about. A woman usually comes in at nine o'clock to do for them. She went upstairs first into her own room, that's this room, and then across the landing to her friend's room. Door was locked on the inside. She rattled the handle, knocked and called, but couldn't get any answer. In the end, getting alarmed, she rang up the police station. That was at 10.45. We came along at once and forced the door open. Mrs. Allen was lying in a heap on the ground, shot through the head. There was an automatic in her hand. Uh, Webley point two five, and it looked a clear case of suicide. Where's Miss Plenderleaf now? Uh, she's downstairs in the sitting room, sir. A very cool, efficient young lady, I should say. Got a head on her. Well, I'll talk to her presently. I, I'd better see Brett now. Accompanied by Poirot, he crossed the landing and entered the opposite room. A tall, elderly man looked up and nodded. Oh, hello, Jap. Glad you got here. Funny business, this. Jap advanced towards him. Hercule Poirot sent a quick, searching glance round the room. It was much larger than the room they had just quitted. It had a built-out bay window, and whereas the other room had been a bedroom pure and simple, this was emphatically a bedroom disguised as a sitting room. The walls were silver, and the ceiling emerald green. There were curtains of a modernistic pattern in silver and green. There was a divan covered with a shimmering emerald green silk quilt and numbers of gold and silver cushions. There was a tall antique walnut bureau, a walnut tall boy, and several modern chairs of gleaming chromium. On a low glass table, there was a big ashtray full of cigarette stubs. Delicately, Hercule Poirot sniffed the air. Then he joined Jap, where the latter stood looking down at the body. In a heap on the floor, lying as she had fallen from one of the chromium chairs, was the body of a young woman of perhaps twenty-seven. She had fair hair and delicate features. There was very little make-up on the face. It was a pretty, wistful, perhaps slightly stupid face. On the left side of the head, 
was a mass of congealed blood. The fingers of the right hand were clasped round a small pistol. The woman was dressed in a simple frock of dark green, high to the neck. Well, Brett, what's the trouble? Physician's all right, said the doctor. If she shot herself, she'd probably have slipped from the chair into just that position. The door was locked and the window was fastened on the inside. Well, that's all right, you say. Then what's wrong? Take a look at the pistol. I haven't handled it, waiting for the fingerprint man, but you can see quite well what I mean. Together, Poirot and Jap knelt down and examined the pistol closely. Yeah, I see what you mean, said Jap, rising. It's in the curve of her hand. It looks as though she's holding it, but, as a matter of fact, she isn't holding it. Anything else? There's plenty. She's got the pistol in her right hand. Now, take a look at the wound. The pistol was held close to the head, just above the left ear. The left ear, mark you. Ah, said Jap. That does seem to settle it. She couldn't hold a pistol and fire it in that position with her right hand. It's plumb impossible, I should say. You might get your arm round, but I doubt if you could fire the shot. Well, that seems pretty obvious, then. Someone else shot her and tried to make it look like suicide. What about the locked door and window, though? Inspector Jameson answered this. Window was closed and bolted, sir, but although the door was locked, we haven't been able to find the key. Jap nodded. Yes, that was a bad break. Whoever did it locked the door when he left and hoped the absence of the key wouldn't be noticed. Poirot murmured, Say better. Oh, come on now, Poirot, old man. You mustn't judge everybody else by the light of your shining intellect. As a matter of fact, that's a sort of little detail that's quite apt to be overlooked. Doors locked, people break in, woman found dead, pistol in her hand, clear case of suicide. She locked herself in to do it. They don't go hunting about for keys. <laughs>